Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys and to be with you here this morning. My name is Elijah Daly, and I get to be one of the ministers here on staff. And today we're going to continue in our, our series of the pursuit of wisdom. Uh, a couple weeks ago, really the last couple weeks, Marcus talked about Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, finding fulfillment in God and allowing God to be our refuge. Today, what we're going to do is jump to the book of Proverbs. Now, why would we do this, you might ask? And that is because in 1 Kings, there was a guy named Solomon who was becoming the king of Israel. And Solomon had pleased God had brought so much joy to God that God decided to come to Solomon and say, hey, you can ask for one thing. I don't care what it is. I want to give it to you because of your desire for me, your willingness to want to be obedient. So what would you like? And Solomon did not ask for wealth. He did not ask for women. He did not ask for a world empire. He asked for wisdom. And what he began to do was to write Proverbs and collect them all into this book of Proverbs. And if there's one thing we need right now, it doesn't matter who you are, it's just a little more wisdom. Amen? And so today, my goal is that you would begin to see what Proverbs has to say about wisdom. In general, it has one basic premise, that the fear of God results in wise decisions, and wise decisions results in positive outcomes. And specifically, what I want to begin to address today is what Proverbs says about wealth what wise decisions we can make about wealth, what positive outcomes are available. Now I know, as soon as I say wealth, people start squirming in their seats a little bit. You're either irritated or you're uncomfortable. You're worried I'm gonna get to the end of this thing, ask you to put your checkbooks, um, get your checkbooks out, or I'm gonna put a number up on the screen and we're all gonna cash up. That's not gonna happen, all right? I'll say that up front. But for whatever reason, we begin to put so much value on this subject, this idea, the concept, the treasures that we have, our wealth. Now, we can see this pretty quickly because if I were to decide to say, hey, let's pass the bags, or we're gonna pass our offering bags across the aisle, if I were to say that and said, hey, I just want you all to dig in your pockets, I want you to pull as much lint out of your pockets as possible. We're all just gonna give as much lint as you can provide today. We're gonna knit Mark a sweater and he's gonna wear it and remember us. Now, you might think that is insane. You might think that is crazy, and it is, but you probably would have no issue participating in something like that. Why? Because lint means nothing. Wealth does. And what I wanna talk about today is why that is the case, how we get it, and what we do with it. Now, the good news is that Proverbs is one of the most positive and practical books when it comes to the concept of wealth. It talks about the blessings that it provides. But what I don't want you to miss is even though it talks about the blessings in one hand, closely with it are the dangers. Even though it talks about wealth as a convenience and a blessing, along with it, it talks about the curse, the warning of the curse that can come along with it. And so that's where we are going to go today. We're going to look at Proverbs, why we want wealth, how we get wealth, what do we do with it, all right? So why do we want wealth? Well, when I was a kid, um, my dad was a minister, 
My mom worked odd jobs. We didn't have a lot of wealth, okay? In fact, I remember going out to restaurants and my dad would give us all a budget of like how much money we had to stay under uh, for each meal that we were gonna order. I remember even that we didn't even own a house, I don't think until I was in high school. I remember uh, that most of the time we were at the mercy of people's generosity all around us, but God always provided. In fact, I don't think that we owned our own car. I think that every car that we, had, that we had had been given to us, we had never purchased one, had been given to us from people through the church that my dad worked at because they felt bad for us, um, which was great. God always provided for our means, but we had never had a nice car. They were all kind of like the secondhand cars. They were kind of beat up. They were on their last leg, but they got us from A to B. But I remember when I was in middle school, we were given this blue Pontiac, this old blue Pontiac, and I loved it. It was spacious. It was like the biggest car I, could, I had ever seen. It was spacious. It was new to us, and so it was fun. But then I remember my dad taking me to school in it. And I, it finally dawned on me, like, this car is not cool. This car is embarrassing. It was old. It was breaking down. It put out as much exhaust as a semi. It was like, it was just one of those cars you didn't want to be seen in. And so when I got to school and I stepped out, I remember feeling that weight that pressure, that evaluation. Why do we want wealth? Because at some level, we believe it actually contributes to our significance. It contributes to our meaning and how people assign it to us. Why do we want wealth? Proverbs gives three examples, and the first is this. Wealth provides security. If you look at Proverbs 10, 15, it says this. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So what's Solomon saying? If your car breaks down, if a mortgage payment is due, if you find out you're pregnant, the electric bill arrives, right? You know who's not worried? The rich. They have the resources. They have a stored up uh, process of money that they can access at any time when they need, regardless of any unexpected event. The wealth provides security right? The wealth provides security. The other thing he says is wealth provides significance. In Proverbs 14, it says, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. In Proverbs 19, it says, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? Solomon's saying the poor have a hard time having friends. The rich have a hard time keeping their friends away because the rich have things. The rich have, have gifts to share. They have homes to invite people to. They have HGTV settings to admire. They have things to share, right? And it becomes easy to see how wealth provides significance when the people that we surround ourselves with admire us for those things. Proverbs also says that wealth provides status. In Proverbs 22, seven, it says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. A wealthy person is independent. They have control over their circumstances. They have power, they have influence, and they have this in their home and in their communities. They get to decide what happens, how it happens, and who wouldn't want that kind of influence? Who wouldn't want that kind of influence? But don't forget, Wealth shows us the blessing of wealth, but it also shows us a warning of curse. 
Listen to what it says in Proverbs 13. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. You see, Proverbs is not denying that there are are benefits and conveniences that wealth will provide, but it will constantly, over and over, repeatedly challenge the idea that that means that all life will be beneficial and good. There's always a danger involved. There's always the warning of a curse because when that security is torn down because the stock market tumbles or you're laid off, when your significance is challenged because you're not sure if your friends like you for you or if they just like you for your things, or when they come over, you have this fear, this pressure to perform that they would see your house in just the right way, that they'd see the the fine meals and food that you provide. When they look at your status and you realize that you are posturing for the same role as so many others around you and you feel the burden of, of that weight on you, there's always that pressure, that curse, that warning, that danger, and wealth ceases to be wealth when it leaves us feeling poor. What is Proverbs saying then? How, what do we want? We, why do we want this wealth? It's because it provides these things, but what we really need is a wealth that will never be taken, that cannot be threatened. So how do we get that kind of wealth? How do we get there? Well, Proverbs begins to answer this. How do we get that kind of wealth? First is we give to our work. Proverbs 24 says this. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. He says, if you want to have wealth, you have to to work for it. And he says, this implicit reality that poverty may very well be a result of of our unwillingness to work, to put forth the effort that God has given us gifts And we haven't always stewarded those gifts. And so our lives become like the ground, overcome by weeds, so daunting that we don't even want to address it at all. What he's saying is the life of a wise person looks like a garden, but a fool's life looks like a jungle. But when we can see the blessings that God has given us, when we see our work, we can actually steward them instead of squander them. And we must constantly take a step back and evaluate whether that is true of our life. Is our life a garden or is it a jungle? The next thing Solomon says we must do to acquire wealth is give to our time. Proverbs 13 says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Solomon's point here is that we often don't want to wait right? We want to jump ahead. We don't manage our money. We don't stay within a budget. We take out loans. We take out credit. We buy lottery tickets, whatever we can do to get those things that we feel will bring us security, significance, and status over and over again. But Solomon's saying this kind of wealth leads to poverty. Those kinds of shortcuts will never, ever allow us to enjoy the things God wants for our life. Time in and of itself is simply cause and effect relationship. It's the program of God progressing forward in a steady rhythm and constancy. When we try to push beyond what God has intended, it begins to, to, to he, uh, butt heads with the will of God. What we are called to do is allow ourselves to patiently persist, to allow ourselves to be content where we are at. In fact, Proverbs is very emphatic about this idea of shortcuts. 
The first nine chapters is actually Solomon painting this really vivid picture. Do you remember what it is? It's this father. He's talking to his son. And he's trying to get him to pursue a path of wisdom. And for all the parents in the room, you understand, you just want your kid to make wise decisions so that those wise decisions will lead to positive outcomes. And this father is writing to his son, trying to tell him, pursue the path of wisdom, avoid folly, pursue the path of wisdom. And he starts explaining to them that there's these two women, both beautiful and gorgeous. And one is wise, but the other is a prostitute. It's folly. Both are calling to this boy. Both are trying to entice him towards its treasures. But the prostitute, all that she can offer are cheap imitations, cheap benefits. And that road ultimately always leads to death, to destruction, to a curse. And that's the point. That with, within the book of Proverbs, that curse is always close behind. Solomon also says that to acquire wealth, we must give to the Lord. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You see, Proverbs says that to have wealth, you must give it to God. Now, if I haven't made you uncomfortable already, I'm sure I'm getting close, all right? But what I wanna look at is what does Solomon mean by this word honor? What does he mean? Well, this word honor is used about 113 times in the Old Testament. And every single time it's used, it's translated a little bit differently, but it all has this sense, it always has this sense of heaviness or weight or value. And Solomon's saying, you need to ascribe this heaviness or this weight or this value to God to have wisdom in your wealth. It's kind of like, so my son is four years old. Uh, one of my sons is four years old. And you know, you, you just kind of pick on your kids from time to time, right? Or you just kind of see what they're doing. So here's what, here's what I'm talking about. You guys know this example, right? You get a sucker, you get like a $20 bill, and you just decide, hey, which one do you want? Which one of these do you want, right? And what do they always pick? The sucker. Why? Because they're a sucker, right? No, it's because they are assigning a weight and a heaviness and a value to that sucker. Even though they don't know, they could buy like 100 suckers with this $20 bill, right? They just don't get it. It's like in a marriage relationship. When you begin to assign a heaviness and a weight and a value to that relationship, it actually begins to change the way you see the world. It changes the way you have responsibilities and the way you see people and the way that you behave unless that weight is lifted off, that value is taken off. And we know what happens, how quickly when that begins to happen. And that is Solomon's point. That's Solomon's point, that when we begin to put that weight on God, we will actually begin to be blessed through it. And if we want a wealth that will never be taken, we must work, we must give it to God, and we must patiently persist. Now, you might be sitting in your chairs right now being like, I feel like I do all that, and I still don't have a lot. So what does that mean? I feel like I give to God. I feel like I work really hard. I feel like I use my time as wisely as possible. Why? Because even though there is a blessing and a benefit of wealth, there's always a warning of curse. Listen to what Proverbs 23 says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. 
for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. You see, we will work so hard to achieve wealth. We will work long hours sacrificing our family, sacrificing our community, and sacrificing God. We'll become a slave in order to become a king, never arriving, never arriving. Listen to this in Proverbs 19, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever is generous to the poor, right? This is the blessing. This is how we, we offer the blessing. But here are the curses that come along with him. Proverbs 21, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Proverbs 28, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 22, do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. There was a common belief amongst the Jewish people that if you had wealth, it was because you were obedient. God was blessing you as a, as a result of your faithfulness. You weren't just elite on earth, you were elite in heaven. But when we look at a list like this, it becomes emphatically clear that we have been cut off from all of the benefits and blessings of wealth because we have all at one point succumbed to the, to the call of the prostitute, to the call of folly, to the call of shortcuts, to the call of cheap imitations, to the call of brief pleasures. All of us at some point has, have been ca caught off guard by this seductress temptress leading us into a path of, of folly. And if it shows us anything, is that we should question whether God hears us at all. That if we have wealth, it's not because God has shined on us, but because rain falls on the righteous and unrighteous just the same. But this is why Jesus is constantly warning us against wealth. This is why in Mark 10, he says, it's impossible for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God because in God's economy, wealth means nothing when it comes to your status or your significance or your security. This is why in Proverbs 11, it can say, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And we may be rich in dollars, but I bet a lot of us feel poor in righteousness most of the time. So what do we do? How can we begin to, to accept and, and achieve a wealth when we've already compromised our, our place, when we've cut ourselves off from an eternal inheritance because we've been more concerned with filling our pockets than filling hungry stomachs? Here's why I'm up here today. If I haven't made you feel guilty enough, <laughs> because when I stepped out of that car as a middle schooler, I was a fool. You see, my parents weren't poor. They were sacrificial. They had given everything away because they had begun to see a treasure on earth and in heaven available to them now. And by their grace and God's, over time, I grew to understand that same wealth and have joined along on the mission. And so today, I want you to hear the gospel because it rears its head even in the book of Proverbs. You see, Jesus was the righteous one that worked in alignment with God's will over and over again, constantly recreating a garden from a jungle. Jesus was the one who time over and over again said, my time has not yet come yet. My time has not yet come yet. Allowing himself to be dedicated to the very plan that God had put in place. Jesus is the one who had all the wealth, who had status, who had significance, and yet 
yet he gave it away and he received our curse. He was the one who was forsaken and unheard. He was the one who was crushed. He received our curse. This is the gospel so that we may receive his blessing. That although he deserved the true amount of wealth, he gave it up so that we may truly enjoy the significance of what it means in knowing him. And this is what it's all about. Our wealth is simply all in Christ. And therefore wealth, has not, wealth is not defined by what we have, but who has us. And as we begin to look at the life of Jesus, we begin to see pretty clearly that he is making a distinction that matters. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is our security. Jesus is our significance. Jesus is our status. Our best life now is not because we have taken hold of the American dream. Our best life now is because it is a growing phenomenon that is going to end in seeing our king face to face. Our best life now is going to get to that savior and not receiving crowns of glory, but laying them at his feet. Our best life now is when we give up and abandon all of ourselves, all of our hearts, all of our wealth. The truth is God does not ask for 10%. The demand is far greater. He asks for all of us. And when we can begin to use our entire life, every part of it, to honor God, to show God his weight and his value, when we begin to care for the poor around us, to show them their weight and their value, it can begin to completely transform the world towards the kingdom and the blessing that God so desired it to be, that he can undo this curse. And I'm not sure if it's become clear yet, but the distinction between wealth being a blessing and a curse is the same distinction about whether wealth is a part of our life or the purpose of it. How do we know? How do we know whether wealth is a part of our life or the purpose? Well, Proverbs says that Wealth is, is helpful. It's a, it's a helpful servant, but it is a terrible God. It's okay to have wealth. It's okay to use it, but it, it's a terrible God. Proverbs 15 says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. If wealth is the purpose of our life, if wealth is the purpose of our life, we probably live paycheck to paycheck. If wealth is the purpose of our life, we probably keep pushing further and further into debt never, with no plans of ever paying it off. If wealth is the purpose of our life, we probably have prioritized work over family and our church community. If wealth is the purpose of our life, we've completely forgotten those that have none at all. But if wealth is a part of our life, it can be enjoyed. If wealth is a part of our life, we can live comfortably regardless of how much we may have. It, we can be a slave to no one or anything. We can enjoy work and home and church. And more importantly, most importantly, we can bring justice to those who have none at all. Justice is a key part of what it means to have wealth, that we may be instruments in the hand of God, distributing to all, that we may receive wealth only so that we can give it away. That's the point of it. That's the point of it all. Who is the poor, you might ask? It is everyone who has a need of hope. It is everyone who has a need for justice. It is everyone who has a need for sympathy and empathy. The poor is everyone who is defined by a lack of meaning. 
And wealth begins to trick us into thinking that that's a part of it. Sometimes it begins to really trick us to the point where we feel despair completely. But here's what we know, is that our wealth has been offered to us that can never be taken, that we can enjoy now and have fully in the new heavens and the new earth. I wanna end with this. Proverbs 3 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Because in God's economy, Wealth is not a currency that is valuable. It is wisdom. But listen to this. In Colossians 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is my goal as well. My hope for you is that as we continue through this pursuit of wisdom, that you would see that it really is a pursuit of Christ, that what wealth promised, Jesus actually delivers, that all the failed expectations that wealth failed to live up to allows us to be free to give it away, that we would see once and for all that Jesus is our security, Jesus is our status, Jesus is our significance. And today we're gonna respond to that God together to ascribe him all glory and honor, knowing what it is he gave up that we may receive. We respond. Would you stand and sing? Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.